Amen. How are we doing today? So, Josh, was that the reaction you were hoping for? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Perfect. Um, I thought when I came in, um, I, I usually come in just a little bit later, like right when the service is getting started. I thought when I came in we were going to have to change uh, the name on the sign out front from Baptist to something else because there was nobody in the back row. Um, it was a little concerning. Um, but uh, no, then I see that there's nobody in the front row. So we're good. Uh, we can keep our name. Um, this, this front row over here. So you guys are good. And that front row and okay. Sorry. All right. I digress. It's a little early to be digressing. So I um, wanted to uh, share with you as we get continue, as we continue with um, our study in David, um, one of the things that impresses me about David, okay, is that David is not a perfect person. Do we know that? I remember one time um, years ago, I was in seminary, um, and somebody asked me uh, about um, my faith. And like, do you think that you could be um, somebody like David? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. What, do you, <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Like, um, and I was kind of taken back by that because um, the, the reality is that anyone and everyone uh, can have a faith like David. Okay? He, he is exceptional in the sense that God called him to be king and he called him into this lineage of the Messiah. But he's not exceptional in the sense that, that nobody could have a faith as big as his. Anybody can have a faith as big as his. But here's the thing about David that was um, unique and I think that we need to learn from. It, it wasn't that he didn't make mistakes, but when he made mistakes... Um, and, and when he saw the result of his mistakes, he had uh, a, a character and a heart that repented. He, he claimed um, what he needed. He claimed God. He claimed his faith. He claimed the responsibility, and he continued on in his walk with the Lord, which is exactly what the gospel tells us. Not that you're going to be perfect, but that no matter what happens, when you make mistakes... Um, that there is forgiveness, there's healing, there's restoration, there's still a purpose, God still has a plan, and you can trust Him. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about um, a car accident that I had. And um, one of the things that you learn in life experiences is that uh, some of the consequences that you experience in your life are a result of your mistakes some of the consequences that you experience are other people's mistakes. Anybody ever felt the consequence of someone else's mistakes? Anybody have children? <laughs> um, you, you feel the consequence. Well, um, I was um, talking about two accidents that I had. One was kind of my fault. The other one was primarily not my fault. Okay, and so let me try to give you the picture here. 16 years old, I'm driving my car, okay, a sweet 1980 black AMC Concorde. <laughs> yeah, it was, I loved it. Um, had uh, 
uh, it was manual transmission. I think it was a six-cylinder, uh, mag rims, you know, the whole thing. So I'm driving my $400 car. <clears throat> I'm coming into uh, Springfield, Illinois from Ashland, which, you know, is... Uh, so I'm driving east into town, into like the intersection of Veterans Parkway, if you're familiar with that part of town at all. Um, and it's a busy intersection. It's a big intersection. It's coming off of a highway. Um, so the speed limit hasn't changed yet. It's still like, I think, 40, 45 or 55. I, I can't remember exactly. I was probably driving 55. So let's say the speed limit was 55. I'm trying to make the light. It's green. Okay, it is green. Um, and what happened was that the person coming from the other direction um, facing me wanted to turn to go that way, whatever that way is. Um, and so they have to cross my lane of traffic. They have a green light, but not a green arrow. Okay? So what happened was here I am trying to make the light, and my light's green, and they turn right in front of me, and I hit them um, going full speed, okay? I did not stop, slow down, hit the brakes, nothing. It was just, here they are, and, I'm, and, they, and I hit them. So um, they made a mistake, okay? Uh, whether the mistake was they thought they had a green arrow or they thought that they had enough time to get you know, through the intersection before I came through it or they didn't see me at all or whatever the case may be, I don't know. But they made a mistake. I made a mistake, too, because I probably should have, and, and as a more mature driver, I know now, like, slow down when you come into an intersection. Don't go full speed ahead. So um, I got a ticket for that. And I, I asked somebody in the early service what ticket I would have gotten for that. Man, you guys are all on it. <laughs> Failure to reduce speed to avoid an accident. So... Okay, I am a 16-year-old kid with a $400 car, uh, which means that I have liability insurance. Um, and I got a ticket, which means I'm not getting paid by this guy's insurance, right? The consequence was my, my mistake and his mistake compounded together to create a consequence, which was that I now am a poor high school student working a part-time job with no car, um, and uh, I have a ticket to pay, and now I have to find another $400 car to buy, um, which I did, by the way. It was a 1978 Chevy Malibu. Um, yeah, and the bumper was falling off, but it ran pretty good. Um, so that, that was all the, this conglomeration of events that came together by the mercy of God, I walked away from that accident, um, but I did have some consequences. Now, all I'm, I wanted to say about that is that um, we experience consequences for both our mistakes and other people's mistakes, and you're not going to avoid that, okay? Do you realize that? You will feel the consequence. Sometimes the consequence is heavy. Sometimes it is overwhelming. But you will feel the consequence of mistakes, whether they were intentional or not, whether they were rebellion or just ignorance. What you do with it 
is going to make all the difference. How you respond uh, in your faith, in your continued trust, or um, in some cases, and this is what I believe we see the difference between Saul and David, how you blame God or how you trust God, how you refuse to accept responsibility or turn to God and say, okay, God, what next? It's going to make all the difference in your life. And so let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we're going to pick up uh, the story of David uh, as he continues to uh, flee Saul um, and uh, see what's going on in his life. Let's stand as we read 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read uh, the first six verses here of this story. So it says this, Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, uh, on the third, they were up north getting ready for a, a big battle between Israel and the Philistines, and the king just sent David back home uh, because he didn't trust him. Okay, on the third day, he comes back. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. You might circle that word there. We're going to come back to that. For the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Now, it doesn't say they were bitter for their wives. doesn't mean they didn't have good marriages. It's because they thought their wives were dead, but they believed that their sons and daughters had been taken captive. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And Father, we thank you for your word today and uh, what it is that you have to teach us about life, mistakes, consequences, um, and all that you want for our lives to be. And God, we uh, pray for your Holy Spirit to take uh, the, the life of David and the response of David and the truth of your word and, and really mostly uh, the, the truth of your character, who you are, um, and the promises that you make to us in the faithfulness that you reveal to us, Lord, and help us to, to claim that, learn from it, to cling to it, um, and to follow more closely. And, and we'll give you all the glory because you have plans, purposes for us that, God, we are excited to see uh, revealed uh, in our day. We thank you that we can have uh, a faith as strong as David, and we pray that we would in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're picking this story up um, with a lot of information kind of skipped over, okay? Where we have been, uh, we, we left off in chapter 25. We, we're actually in chapters 24, 25, and 26 in the last couple of weeks talking about David fleeing from Saul, 
um, and the, the events that are happening there. But what happens is David uh, comes to a point in chapter 27 where he realizes all I'm doing is I am I'm, I'm running from one cover to another cover. He talks about himself being a flea or a partridge, and he's just like, I'm just this guy who's hi- running and hiding. Um, and, and something bad's going to happen if, uh, if I don't change something. So chapter 27 uh, reveals what David is thinking uh, about uh, this whole event. And so he says, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Saul is the king. Saul has been rejected as king by God, and David has been anointed by Samuel as the new king, okay, in a private ceremony. But he's running away from Saul, and he says, there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose, and he went over, and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Uh, David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man in his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So his plan works. Saul stops pursuing him. Um, But some of you um, may remember this from a few weeks ago. Uh, Who also was from Gath? A little-known giant named Goliath, who David has recently uh, killed. Uh, So it is interesting, to say the least, that David would flee to the home region, if not the hometown, of this villain that he has just killed. Here's the weird thing, if you don't know this. It's not the first time that David has run to Gath in the last few chapters. If you go back and you read uh, chapter 21, you see that David was already there once. And while he was there, uh, he hears that people are repeating the song that was sung about David recently when he killed Goliath, which was that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And he hears people saying that and he says, uh, oh no, uh, they, they know who I am and they are going to kill me. And so they bring David before Achish, the very same king, and David thinks, well, uh, how am I going to get out of this one? And he acts like an insane person. He drools all over his beard, and he I don't know what he does, uh, but he's acting insane and pretty convincingly. So he, the king's like, what, what are you bringing this madman before me? Just send him out. I got enough... I got enough crazy people in my life already, is what the king says. He sends him out, and David leaves, and for about a year or so, David is running around trying to flee from Saul, and then he goes back to the same king, to the same area, and now he's going to live there. So, okay, the Bible does not tell us what has happened here, but obviously David's been here before, and now he comes back. He has to, in my opinion, okay, and I'm going to I'm going to interject some, some assumptions, okay? But I, I think that you have to make some assumptions here. He, he comes back to the king, and he must have come clean with him. 
That's what I, I think. He must have come clean. He must have said, um, you, know, you know, last year when I was here, um, I acted like a crazy person because I was so afraid of how great you are and powerful and mighty, and here I am. I'm just this humble servant, and, and, uh, and you're so awesome. And so I think he probably, you know, played up to the king's pride and and the king said, oh, well, I'm so flattered. And, and here is this, uh, this person who the king knows is fleeing from Saul, who is Achish's mortal enemy. He's trying to kill the king, take over his land, and become the king of the whole area. And here's this guy, David, who we know is a mighty warrior. He's killed our greatest champion of all time. And he's fleeing from Saul. If I can recruit him into my service, then I will be that much more powerful. That's the assumption that I'm making, that Akish comes to this place where he's like, I, I, I'm going to use David. I'm going to recruit David. So here's what happens. And this is just, I don't know, if you've read this, then if you're like me, you're like, this sounds strange. It just sounds out of character for David. The king gives David this little city, Ziklag, and, and just kind of gives him free reign to, to do whatever he's going to do. So David, for about a year and a half, what he does, he goes around to different cities and villages in Philistine territory, okay, Philistine cities. He ransacks them. He burns them to the ground and he kills everyone in the city. Okay, this is David's normal practice for the next one year and four months in, Philist in Philistine uh, territory where he's living. He does this everywhere he goes. And then he'll come back to Achish and Achish will say, David, where, where have you been? What have you been doing? And David says, oh, you know, Saul, your enemy, the guy that you hate and you want to kill, I've been over in, in his land, in Israel, um, and I've been ransacking cities and killing people, and, and I've been just causing all kinds of problems for Saul. And Akish is like, oh, great, I'm glad to hear that, David, carry on. He, and he, this is his normal practice. So he's lying, he's, he's living with the enemy, he's... Uh, doing horrible things, and even though they are Israel's enemies, it just seems like this is a strange scenario. Would you agree with that? It's like, I, I don't, it's kind of makes you a little bit sick to think about this. And what you realize is that David um, is making a mistake. He's making a mistake by doing this. He's out of character. He's dishonest. He's manipulative. He's deceptive. He's, he's hypocritical. Um, and this is his practice. Now, um, we're going to see. This is going to catch up to him. Uh, but what happens is that in chapter 28, Saul, he is getting ready for this huge battle between himself and the Philistines. I don't know if they sent letters to each other and said, hey, let's get together and let's just settle this thing once and for all. I don't know. It doesn't tell us a lot of detail about that. But what happens is they meet up north. And if you're familiar with Israel, they're meeting near the plains of Megiddo, which is the place of Armageddon you know, in Revelation. 
they're meeting in this big, huge area to have this big, huge battle. Um, and David goes up with the Philistine army. He's, he's going to, well, we'll see what, he, what actually happens. But he goes with his new master that he's pretending to serve, and he's going to fight. Um, but what happens is that the commanders of the Philistine army, not the king, the king is totally believing that David is on his side and he's, he's fighting for him and he can trust him. In fact, the king says, David, you will be my personal bodyguard for life. Okay, that, that's what the king says. But the commanders of the army say, we can't trust David. I mean, basically, they're like, come on, king, like use your head here. If, the, if David wants to get into the good graces of Saul, all he has to do is, as soon as the battle you know, begins to turn, David just turns on us and kills us. And then Saul will, will praise him and welcome him back. Like, the, you really want this guy on our side during this battle, this final battle between us and Israel? And so uh, the, the commanders of the army send David back home, back to Ziklag. Um, now, the thing is, I don't know how much time we got. David, um, he, he swears up and down that the king can trust him. Just, what have I ever done to make you distrust me, king? I mean, he just, he really goes the whole nine yards to try to deceive this king. Now, I do think that his point was he wanted to be there so that he could do exactly what the commanders of the army were saying he was going to do. And they're like, no, you can't, you can't be here and just go. And so David returns home uh, back to Ziklag. Um, in the meantime, Saul is trying to um, figure out if God is going to bless this battle, if he's going to be with them or not. And so chapter 28 is where Saul goes to the witch of Endor. Um, and what happens here is that Saul is not getting an answer from God. He, he's, God is not talking to him. He's not revealing anything to him. So he goes, and the witch of Endor conjures up Samuel's or ghost from the grave and tells Saul that you and your sons are certainly going to die. Okay. Well, let's pause here for a minute because I want to uh, interject again a little bit of, of my assumption. Um, I believe that Saul had an opportunity to see the consequence of his actions and turn and change course. Um, God is revealing to Saul what is going to happen. He, he, the very next day, he's going to die and his sons are going to die and the, the armies of Israel are going to be defeated. Saul could have, way back when, a couple years prior to this, he could have um, decided to transfer the kingdom over to David. Okay, that's a weird thought, I know, but here's what I know for sure. The Bible says that Saul has been rejected uh, as king. The Holy Spirit has left Saul. He is tormented in his soul, and he's going to live the rest of his life in this perpetual torment. Uh, God is not changing his mind. God is not speaking to him, and God has revealed, and Saul has said it with his own mouth that David will be king, that David is the anointed one, that David is the one that God is blessing and using, and, and who God is with. 
Saul could have seen the consequence of his actions has led to the removal of the kingdom from his authority. He could have said, okay, God, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to transfer the kingdom over to David. He could have accepted that consequence and he wouldn't do it. So what does he do instead? He chases David, tries to kill him. He tries to hold on for dear life to his kingdom, to his authority, and he's going to pay the highest price possible. If he would have transferred authority over to David, a few things could have happened. Saul, I believe, could have been restored in his right relationship with God, could have had a peace with God. Okay, God, I I messed up. I'm accepting that. And he could have been restored into a place of purpose where he could help David, he could transfer the kingdom peacefully, he could then help David to, to understand the, how to rule. Here's what's going to happen. After Saul dies, David is going to um, have to piece together this kingdom. He's going to rule in Hebron for seven and a half years. Okay, He's going to rule one or two tribes, because Israel is 12 tribes. You know that? 12 tribes, and Saul never really quite consolidated uh, the kingdom. Uh, David's going to rule a couple of tribes, and then it's going to take seven and a half years, and finally the other tribes are going to come in and say, okay, yeah, we, we agree, David's the right guy, We're, we'll follow him. So instead of it being a peaceful transfer and a powerful kingdom, uh, sooner it's going to take more time. The other thing that Saul would have achieved, I believe, not only would he have purpose and been able to live out his life and had peace with God, he could have seen his children uh, actually have a place in the kingdom. His son Jonathan had already devoted his heart to David and said, you will be king, I will serve you, I will be your greatest champion. And David could have benefited from some of the greatest warriors Uh, in Saul's kingdom. Instead, he's got to start all over. So this is what happens in your life, my life, okay? We have mistakes that are made. Some of them are our mistakes. Some of them are other people's mistakes. Uh, We have consequences that follow that. What you do with that matters. Will you reject the, the pain that is brought into your life and be angry with God and continue to try to do what you're going to do and the way that you're going to do it and how dare God you know, allow me to go through this hard thing and bring these bad things into my life when I should have been blessed and I should have... He said that I was the king. And I'm going to hold on to that for dear life instead of saying, okay, God, what are you, what are you trying to do here? Pause. Pray. Is there a different direction that I'm supposed to go? This is the the great strength of David is that he actually seems to learn from the bad things that happened in his life. So in chapter 30, here's what happens. He finally comes back. They've been traveling. So it's it's like a three-day hard march from Ziklag up to uh, Megiddo. Um, They come back. So... All of the, the southern area of, of uh, Israel has been basically abandoned by um, the, the armies, okay? Armies of Israel, armies of the Philistines, they're all gone. So these people are totally unprotected, and the Amalekites come swooping in and taking advantage of the fact that everything is vulnerable. And they do exactly what David has been doing, 
Um, but they come in and they, they conquer cities, they pillage, they take all the goods, and they begin to capture all these people and take them captive. Uh, and so, who are the Amalekites? This will blow your mind, okay? Um, you have to understand that there are layers uh, of things happening here. The Amalekites we first run into um, in Exodus chapter 17. Um, who has seen uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Okay. Um, what happens, because I just wanted for some of you to picture this, because you can picture it when you've seen this movie. In Exodus 17, uh, this is the famous story where Moses, when he's raising his hands, the, his army is winning, the armies of Israel are winning, and when he lowers his hands, uh, the other army is winning. Who is that army? It's the Amalekites. Uh, and so uh, Aaron and Hur hold his hands up to, so that they can finally defeat their enemies. That's Exodus 17. If you know your Bible, then you know that this is very, very early in the history of Israel as they have just left uh, Egypt. Okay, this is within weeks uh, of leaving Egypt. They haven't even gone to Mount Sinai yet. Moses has not received the Ten Commandments yet. This is prior to that. So what, they, what happens is as they're traveling and they're just weary and they've just escaped and there's this great victory, the Amalekites come in. They're, they're opportunists. They come in, they try to attack and kill Israel because they want all Israel's stuff. And they attack God's people and God supernaturally blesses and protects them. Um, and, but here's what it says in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25 um, Moses writes this to God's people. He says, Remember what Amalek, or the Amalekites, did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. So basically, the Amalekites came in behind. The people that are weary and, and uh, the weak and the, and the old, uh, the young, they came in and they attacked them from behind. They killed all those people from behind. Those who were lagging behind you, he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies, okay, when you finally come into the promised land, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. And then it says this, you shall not forget. Don't forget. This is what God has declared. He is judging Amalek and those people. Now, Fast forward to the occasion when Saul, King Saul, was rejected as king. He was told, go and destroy who? Can anybody guess? The Amalekites. This is the fulfillment, supposed to be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy. It says, go and destroy the Amalekites. What does Saul do? He says, oh, I'll absolutely do that. And then he goes in and he kind of starts and then he's like gets greedy and he wants to take all their stuff and Samuel comes along he's like I thought um I told you that God said to destroy the Amalekites and so I was like oh yeah I absolutely did no problem it was it was uh, easy <laughs> and Samuel's like well what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and then the king is still alive and you've taken all these people and and Saul's like, yeah, I did what you said. He just doesn't get it. And, uh, and so uh, 
this is when God, and Samuel uh, tells Saul, God has rejected you as king. The Amalekites. So the Amalekites continue, and then they come back because they're opportunists. They come back into to Philistine territory, Israel, the southern... When it says the Negeb, it just means the, like desert areas, dry places. They come back through in a, in a vulnerable time and place, and they just kill and murder and take and pillage and, and burn everything. And uh, now David comes back. So whose fault? Whose fault is this? Partly Saul's. He didn't do what God told him to do. Partly David's, because he's been acting dishonorably. And he's been doing this, now other people are doing this to him. He comes back, and he finds... Um, that his city, his people, his children have been taken captive. And now it says that he's distressed. And in, in, I said in verse uh, 6, circle that, underline that, um, highlight that, distressed. What it means is, um, if you could literally translate it, it would mean between a rock and a hard place. Okay, But literally it means that you take clay and you put it into a mold and you squeeze it in there as tightly as you can to fill every crevice. That's how David feels. He's so distressed. He's got pressure on every side. Everything seems to be falling apart. His guys are blaming him for what's, what has happened to their city and their people and their children that they're ready to kill David and they are partly um, correct. They are, they are at least uh, partly vindicated in the idea and the feeling that David is to blame here. And here's what David does as a response. David, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, and it's very seldom quoted. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When you're feeling the pressure of and it's not just persecution and things that you don't deserve. It's the pressure of, of consequences from your actions, your mistakes, other people's actions, other people's mistakes. You feel the pressure, and the world is against you, and I have nowhere to turn, and I'm not sure what to do. Then the one place David turns, and you know this because David wrote like almost half of the Psalms. You just go back and you start reading through the Psalms. You, you read David's words because he wrote, this is a Psalm of David. Okay, half the Psalms say this is a Psalm of David. It's a song, it's a prayer, and he's declaring things and he's talking about his relationship with God. And what you see is that when David was under pressure and he faced significant pressure almost constantly through his life, he would turn to God and he would declare the things about God's nature that reassured him. So he would say, God, you're faithful, you're powerful, you're in control, you're, you're forgiving. Um, and he would call God a warrior and that he was, he was a, basically on his side. He knew the nature of God and he would declare that and he would repeat that. So as you're praying and you're under pressure, um, one of the things that you have to do is begin to declare in your heart back to God who he is. God, you're, you're in control. You know, and, and so often David would say, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? I, 
God's in control. And when you begin to pray like this and you begin to say, God, you are great, you are awesome, you are holy, you are a good God, you know, I oftentimes will um, question, God, why are you good to me? I mean, I'll, I'll just start thanking God for things in my life. You ever do this? You're just praying, God, thank you for my health, for my family, for, you know, my, my job, for my house, for just, you know, being with me, for peace in my heart, for, uh, I mean, my kids, my, you know, all these different things. Just, God, thank you. You know, God, why, why are you good to me? And I just remember this. It's not about me because he's good. That's, that's why. And, I, and I'm always reminded, he's not just good to me because I deserve it. He's good because, to me because he's good. And David repeats these things over and over. He's good. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a powerful God. Um, he, he repeats God's promises. He declares God's promises. When you begin to pray, um, seeking the Lord, seeking the strength of God in whatever situation you're in, uh, you repeat that his character, but also what he has said. What has God declared about you and about um, what he has promised to you, what he will do, what he definitely um, you can count on because he's declared it. It's not stuff that I'm conjuring up in my own head that I want God to do for me. He has said that if I will call on the name of Jesus, then I will be saved. That's, that's not wishful thinking on my part. Okay, that's what he's declared. He said that if I will confess my sin, he will cleanse me. He will forgive. He will restore me. Amen? Like, I, I don't have to uh, hope that he'll do that or I wish that he would do that. I know that he'll do that because he has promised that. He says that I'm a new creature in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, these are not things that, that we think, well, man, that'd be nice if that were true. He has declared in his word that these things are absolutely true because he, God, promised them to you. You declare that back. Like, I'm, I'm not forcing God to do anything he doesn't want to do. He said it. Okay, I can rest in that. I, and then, you know, if that's not enough, hopefully that is, but you go back and you, and this is what David does all the time in the Psalms. I know how God was with me in that time and how he came through and how he answered that prayer and how he restored me and how he saved me here. And I have this history with God that he's never failed me. And I've been through some stuff, and, and I know that I can trust him. Um, and if I can trust him in the past, then I believe I can trust him in the future. And, and he strengthens himself in the Lord. That, that's what that means. He's, he's declaring what he knows to be true from the past, from God's word, from his experiences. And then he says, okay, now what, God? And this is really important. The very next thing he does, he gets up. He goes to the priest and he says, okay, um, should I pursue? Verse 8, should I pursue? Will I overtake them? And God declares, okay, he answers him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So when God reveals to you what his will is in your life, your response is yes. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. David had to now uh, travel a very difficult path. He had to put all his effort into pursuing this band. He has 600 guys 
200 are going to be too weak and weary to continue. So he's going to take 400 of his best men, and he's going to defeat an army of, I don't know how big, thousands, okay, huge army. It, and all I know is that 400 uh, escape on camels, and it was like only, only 400 escaped. David only has 400 total to fight with. So supernaturally, God empowers him to go and to catch up. They're a couple of days ahead of him. Catch up to them. He supernaturally gives him inside information through an Egyptian young man who they left for dead. And they find him. They give him some food and water. He comes back, you know, perks up and says, well, as long as you don't kill me, I'll tell you all about uh, these people, where they're at and how they are organized and how, to, how they camp and all the details that you need to know supernatural information, and then supernatural strength to defeat his enemies. And so here's what I can almost guarantee and promise. When you obey God, he will confirm that obedience with a supernatural confirmation. Somehow he's going to declare to you, to your heart, to your mind, to your life, that following Jesus was the right thing to do. And then, as you come out of the situation that you're living in, and you have that confirmation, and you see that it was painful, and it was difficult, and it took faith, and it was not, not an easy thing to trust God in this, but when he confirmed that to my heart, here's what I know. David takes the gifts the, the blessings, all the things that he received, because these people, okay, they have ransacked villages and, and, and whole regions. He takes all of that and he distributes it to other people. When you come through a situation and you see God's hand of blessing, it will become your greatest testimony and your greatest mission. You can, there will be nothing else in your life exactly like it, but you can bless other people with the things that God has brought you through. So much better than just going through easy times, okay? The easy times in my life uh, don't reveal a whole lot. It's the hard things where I trusted the Lord, and He came through, and He confirmed that faith was, was all and that he was all, and then you can declare that to some people who, who need that because they're going through some circumstances, some consequences, whether their fault or somebody else's doesn't matter, and you can come in alongside them and bless them and show them that God is still at work and he's powerful, and he can take whatever life, and he can re redeem it. He can give you a message to give that person. This creates in David's life the path to the kingdom. He learns from his mistakes. He comes back to him, himself and he rebuilds his character. He hasn't messed up so much that God can't still use him. And the same thing is true for you and me. Amen? Father, we thank you. God, we praise you that uh, you are not done. There are so many things that we've done, mistakes we've made, mistakes that other people have made that have hurt 
our hearts, our lives um, that we're still paying for. But God, you're not done even with those stories. You, you have a plan and a purpose to redeem, to restore, to show yourself faithful. And God, we're trusting you in that. We believe your word and we believe your promises. We claim them for our very own. They weren't just made to these great characters from thousands of years ago. They, they were made to us. And they're as real today as they ever were. And our faith is needed in these days. You want to show the world what a difference in our lives looks like. And so, Lord, we pray that we would stand on the truth, that we would stand in faith, that we would trust, and that we would never let go. God, I pray uh, for anyone, everyone, who's learning to trust you for the first time. God, would you confirm that leap of faith? Would you make it absolutely crystal clear in their heart that stepping out on Jesus Christ and the name that is above all names and the price that was paid is sufficient? Lord, would you confirm for the first time that it, it is beyond understanding. It is a new life. Lord, I pray that that would happen today for someone. For your glory, God, we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, just pray that the Holy Spirit would confirm his word. Amen. Whatever God's message to your heart is this morning, um, would you just let God confirm it and uh, reveal that he still has a plan for you. Let's sing. Mm -hmm.